Entrepreneurs, are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard, and now more than ever, you need to have a plan to help your business not just survive, but thrive. And it can happen as simply with thinking with the end in mind. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business growth strategist. I've helped tons of small business owners to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees increased profitability, guides your growth, and plans for your future exit. Because a business worth selling is also a business worth owning. And I want to share strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit with a Plan podcast. But before we get started, I have something to share with you. I've put together an insightful Think Outside the Box live masterclass. This is a 15-minute training specifically designed to help you learn how to get your business sale ready, even if you aren't thinking of selling it. Why now? Join me and find out all the benefits that come with having a sale-ready business. Register for free at, at scale, the number two, sell.biz. All right, I'm excited to have my guest on with me today, Sean Campbell. Sean is, um, has been training, mentoring, and educating all his life. An exceptionally well-regarded conference speaker and author, Sean has delivered talks for Fortune 50 companies and top-tier conferences. He has also been the author of several books on technical as well as business topics. Sean is a professional service firm owner and has been for over 20 years. His uh, professional service work has spanned consulting engagements with Fortune 50s and startups that you've heard of and the sale of his first professional service firm and the growth of delivery sales, marketing, and operational practices inside of professional service firms. Speak in our language, folks. In short, Sean brings the wealth of knowledge when it comes to surviving and thriving as a professional, professional service firm owner and a leader of practice area inside of larger service firms. Sean, I'm really excited to have you on Profit with a Plan. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Okay, so, you know, a lot of us um, have challenges when we're, when we're working with our business, and I'm interested to know why you kind of chose the angle of researching and and getting into that space. Tell us how you got there. Yeah, well, uh, oddly enough, I wanted to be a college professor. And so I think there's some some overlap there. But, um, you know, there's there's a story about a girl that 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 stopped that progression. But uh, anyway, so. <laughs> uh, same girl I'm married to. So like all, well, all well in, that, in that regard. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, basically uh, we ended up doing, uh, research as kind of our primary focus area in large part, because we felt we really understood the industry we were in and we gained a bit of a perspective on it. And at the same time, I, I think there's always been an interest, uh, at least for me and, and for my business partner as well, in terms of getting the opportunity to learn you know, deeply about an industry and businesses and their problems, right? I mean, one of the reasons I enjoy what I do is the moment when I'm really trying to understand what the business is trying to achieve, what their challenges are, what they have gotten stuck in to some degree, and how we can help them figure that out. And to a large extent, a market research firm is is a truth teller, at least a good one should be. You know, we we exist sometimes, I tell people to tell the truth to as many people as the client's comfortable with. And obviously that means inside their company because to a large extent, when you buy market research, although there are exceptions like thought leadership research and whatever, but to a large extent, when you buy it, 
you're, you're getting it so that you have some kind of strategic or tactical advantage that then you can leverage over a period of months or years, right? So it's also one of the funny things about what we do in that we, we don't always get to herald in the same way the uh, impact we've had, because by definition, our impacts are somewhat, somewhat uh, non-disclosable in a way. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, that's, that's an interesting side point for marketing. And there's other businesses like ours, like attorneys have the same problem. You know, you, you can only say so much about your client's problems publicly because somewhat by definition, um, the act of solving them is, is confidential, but that leads to some really interesting things we get to solve. And, and, uh, I don't know if you want to spend time on kind of the entrepreneur journey that led to a business doing this. I can tap that too. But motivation-wise, those are some of the reasons um, I ended up owning a business that focuses predominantly on research. Well, I'm so glad you did because that is an area that so many business owners really don't know what to do with. You know, there's the marketing guy that comes in and says, okay, so tell me about your ideal client. Or they're coming in and saying, just duplicate your favorite client. But there's so many of us that are out there that have really just our own view of it and not the real data that we need and understand. And and I'd love to find out exactly what that data is that we should be looking for to be able to effectively grow our business and bring in the clients that we want to bring in, right? Isn't that our goal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the first point's perhaps the most important one, right? Is that business owners, if we just focus on business owners, but we could talk sure. about C levels or vice presidents or you know, uh, you know, team leaders or whatever. You know, the first thing to recognize, and we think about this all the time when we do market research, is that the individuals we're working for, they have valuable sources of information available to them. It's not likely that anybody who's in a senior role is flying completely blind. And so the real issue there is what, what's additive, where's the gap. Mm. And I think sometimes to put it bluntly, if somebody has been in role long enough, they've kind of ceased to see the gaps, right? They mm. feel a great deal, great deal of confidence about their view of the market, about their customers, about the competition, and usually that's only shaken when they run into some form of pain. And it's one of the main reasons we get hired. I say we get hired for pain or opportunity and pain drives a fair amount of it. And I think the reason for that is that, uh, you know, frankly, it's a lot easier to pay for research to remove pain than it is to make kind of a bet you're making um, 2x better, right? You know, on the opportunity right. side. And so, but a lot of that pain originates from failing to recognize that your view of the market might have atrophied, right? You know, just because as a vice president of sales, you know, you did sales calls 10 years ago. And so you understand the company's customers doesn't really mean you viscerally understand them right now. Right. And so uh, that's a, that, that air gap that, that happens when you're no longer engaging with the market directly and your people are, can sometimes be one of the major reasons people need to even embark on research to begin with. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the kind of data people look for, I think a lot of times is, you know, either a mix of qualitative or quantitative data. 
Uh, I would honestly say that sometimes people index a little too much on the quantitative data. You know, if you just threw a rock and hit somebody that owned a business and said, you know, what do you want to buy for market research? And they, you know, if you had to do it tomorrow, they'd say, I, I'd like a quantitative survey, you know, and, and I can tell you that honestly, that that's not really always the best thing to go do. Uh, it has a lot to do with what the, the problems you face. And I think the reason people jump to that is that frankly, when they think of research, they think of filling out surveys because in their private life, you know, when you're on a call with Verizon for an hour, which could have been 10 minutes, but it's an hour. And they say, you know, would you like to fill out this survey? And you're like, no, I'm going to hang up right now. Uh, right. You know, but, you know, you end up having what feels like a fairly robotic interaction. And, mm. and that's not the work we do. I mean, when you work with a business and you're trying to solve kind of business problems with research, it's, it's a pretty investigative effort. And there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into that, which, which means, you know, there's not necessarily one research method that you're going to go focus on. So, um, so I would sum that up by saying, A, I think when you need research is when hopefully you can recognize all on your own that your knowledge of the market or prospects or customers or competitors has atrophied to the point that it's dangerous. And secondly, when you do step out to think about that, um, recognize that there's a variety of different types of research you can do that all line up with different kinds of business problems. And, and you want to, you want to be smart about which rich research method you pick and, and what approach. And, and the results that you're looking to achieve, right. You know, so, um, right. I, I like that there are many ideas beyond the survey because yes, you know, we've all, we've all had that survey and went, oh my gosh, or you're so quick to respond that it's really not juicy information that you're providing. Um, but at the same time, asking your existing customers or your, your ideal customers or the market you want to go into, asking them detailed questions about what their problem is and, and how that they would like to have it solved and what kind of expectations they're having or they have and they're, they're interested in, these are things that the owner can't do or, or really shouldn't be doing, Right. And that's where that's where a company like yours comes in. Um, how do we? How do? What kind of expectation should we have in these surveys? Do are they taking a long time? Are they are they quick? What what kind of uh, what yeah, kind of programs yeah, well, do you offer? Yeah, one thing just to tap back on something you said. I mean, I, I think the the question about can you do your own research is always a, an interesting one. Just briefly, I mean the the answer really is you can. Just can you be distanced enough from the outcome uh, that that it's viable. I mean, yes, um, you are going to bias things to some degree, right? You know, you, you're going to go talk to your own customers and you might have to really lean into them pretty hard to get them to admit that your company's making mistakes if they really like you in general. Hmm. Um, but it is possible, right? I mean, it is possible, but, but you are going to definitely get a lot more um, just kind of cleaner uh, straightforward stuff that's going to come to you if you have an outside firm do it, uh, much less well, they can operate at scale and and things like that. So so I I think a lot of it has to do with you not jumping to confirmation bias the minute somebody says, you know, hey this X Y Z has happened. The classic example there is sales, right? You know, mm. um, I sales is fascinating to me from a research standpoint because your sales leader, in a way. I feel usually is hurting themselves when they walk into kind of a meeting with you as maybe the owner, because everyone has met a salesperson 
whose entire world and all of their strategic decisions seem to revolve around the last customer they talk to. Uh, you know, so, you know, and in research, we'd call that an N of one, right? Or you might say, don't generalize from a specific. But the funny thing about sales is when you can coach a sales leader to say, hey, let's not focus on what happened just before the meeting. Can you really extrapolate for me how how and what you've seen over this quarter's worth of interactions? Because the flip side is sales is kind of having a never ending qualitative research study with the market. And if you can get even a few of your sales team members to kind of think about their job that way, they can be an incredible source of intelligence. And that might require a bit of coaching to get them to really see the trends that are happening with them. And, and there's ways to make that more programmatic too. You know, there's win-loss studies and all kinds of things like that. But, uh, but there's definitely a way to use your company as kind of a sensor. Mm. Uh, but, but like I said, the problem really is that, that usually leadership doesn't recognize there's a problem until it's too late. And at that point, there's not a culture of using the company as kind of a sensor to what's going on in the market. And then, yeah, at that point, you're just better, much better off leaving it to the professionals per percent and saying, let's just let them go do it. Um, as far and as is that really about, the best, is that really the best use of your time as well to, to be doing the research well, or well, right. many well, other priorities that need to be yeah, taken care of by yeah. the, by the leader? Yeah. And that's, and that's like a, a whole different podcast in a way of like, <laughs> when, when do you know, as a leader to quit doing things? And, and that, that is a, <laughs> which should seem to be a very simple thing, but for many so business owners, it's not. And, and it's a mix of trust and enablement mm. and training and apprenticeship and hiring the right people. And, and mm -hmm. I would say, and if you were to sum it up and then we'll get back to like, what, a, what's a quant survey look like is, um, it really comes down to not being threatened by hiring people who are way smarter than you in the domain. Yeah. If you, if you summarize the easiest way to answer that problem, it's if you can identify somebody that can do the books better than you, hallelujah. If you can identify someone who can do sales better than you, um, hallelujah. If you can identify someone who can maybe even talk to customers better than you, just because you started the thing doesn't mean you're the best person on the planet for engaging with customers. Uh, you know, so I, but that's hard to do because, because owning a business is a uh, ego creation and ego deflation exercise uh, in the best of time. And so it, it's difficult for owners to sometimes put away the helium tank and, and like, say, I'm just going to invest in somebody else. Yeah. And anyway, so, so back to quant surveys though, really quick, um, you know, your average quant survey, if you engage in it in a business standpoint, you know, you're going to be sitting there looking at the screen, you know, anywhere from five to 15 minutes, you might answer like a good, you know, 10 to 20 questions. Mm -hmm. uh, there are surveys that run longer, but they usually experience a degree of fatigue. And then you have an mm -hmm. issue of sure. Maybe some people made it all the way through the survey, but then other people fell off before they finished it. And then you've got to pay to replace that participant. So there's, there's issues there, but yeah, I mean, that's basically how it works. And a lot of them are delivered online, you know, um, you know, back in the day, somebody would have took, take you through it with a clipboard or whatever. Sometimes you'll end up having somebody walk you through it over the phone. Um, but more often than not, these days you get a link to it in email and then you go fill it out. And that's, that's a pretty typical survey. But like I said, that's only one canonical research method for, for mm -hmm. B2B. 
Awesome. So there are many ways that we can gather this information, right? Um, beyond just asking the client to fill out a survey. What other kind of methods could we use or could be used to gather the research for, say, um, you know, experiencing or, or investigating a new market or um, a, a new product or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're going into a new market, it, that's definitely kind of a place more for qualitative research, which which most people are not very familiar with. Okay. Um, so you know, define then. Yeah, so qualitative research is, if you were to sum it up in a non-academic sense, it's one person talking to another person, hmm. uh, and that instantly is different than a web survey or some kind of thing that you're going to go fill out on your own. The most canonical example of that is what's called an in-depth interview, sometimes shorted to just IDI and the lingo. And that's usually someone interviewing someone for 30 to 60 minutes, um, somewhat analogous to what we're doing here. And, you know, you've got a discussion guide that someone's walking through on the research side, and that's aligned with you know, key business problems, key questions that somebody needs to answer, you know, for like new market entry or, or things like that. Another example is a focus group. Some people might have a little more familiarity with that. They've either like mm -hmm. seen it on TV or they understand kind of what it is. Um, it's uh, more often than not done virtually. You know, the mental image of it is a bunch of people around kind of a generic conference room table sitting in a, you know, room with a one-way mirror kind with of thing. With a glass window, yeah. 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 Um, and that's still done, but in, in business to business, because the people you're trying to reach are so hard to get and their time is so valuable, you know, just a, a brief note here, like the incentives that you might pay to get a senior decision maker, like a vice president or a C-level for a technology purchase you might pay them two, $300 just for their hour of time. Mm -hmm. And if you try to extrapolate that and say, well, okay, now I want to get eight senior executives to somehow all show up in Toledo into my <laughs> nondescript focus group room so they can have one hour old Starbucks. Um, no one is coming to go do that. Right. Uh, and then there's another issue with focus groups that can play in, which is that, um, you know, people are talking about a sensitive business topic and they're not entirely sure who else you have in the room with them. So, you know, there's a question of, can I really disclose the challenges my company is facing with a given product or service? Because is that advantageous perhaps to somebody else in the room? Whereas if you're doing in-depth interviews and everybody's anonymized, you know, you don't really have that issue. Um, so so in-depths are, are kind of a classic thing. And if someone's listening thinking, I would never spend an hour on the phone with a researcher. I, I would say uh, you would be surprised. And the simple, the simple reason is, uh, and I've said this for years because it's, it's always true, is if you tell someone they're smart, they will give you a half hour of their time pretty freely. Uh, and, and, and is that how entire, I get all my guests on my show? I was going to say the smart? entire podcast industry is to some extent based on this premise. Now, now there's, there's more, there's more to it than that. There, there are gives and gets for host and interviewee and podcasts. There are also gives and gets, uh, in the market research industry. For example, usually even outside of the incentive, it, there's this issue of like, I get to learn about the market and hopefully affect the market by what I'm sharing. So you, you, you do have a little bit of a bi-directional thing that's going on there. And the incentive in a weird way, it's, it's funny because people might go, ah, it's all about the incentive. And I'd be like, it's not really because if you were to do outreach for this, 
like we do, and you were to say, like, can you participate in the survey? We'd like schedule an hour interview, da, 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 da. What you'll find is that there's kind of this like flattening of the curve with incentives. Like you would think like, okay, if I really need my study done in a hurry, I'm going to pay everybody a thousand dollars for their hour. And they're all going to show up magically. What you find is the curve flattens because yes, they need to be paid because, well, they're, they're, they kind of understand implicitly or explicitly what their kind of hourly rate is in life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you go talk to a surgeon, you know, they're just not going to give you the time of day for $5, right. You know, in the medical field, they might do incentives of four or $500 if they're trying to get some like specialized cancer surgeon to show up for an interview. Right. So there's think of it a little bit more like an honorarium in a way, right. You know, they, they need to recognize that they're being recognized for their expertise, but you can't just throw money at it. At that point, it becomes a lot more about the outreach and, and the thing in the outreach that always tends to make it happen is you, you, this individual basically have this degree of expertise and we recognize that. And we would like you to share that in this forum to affect these things. Without that, you could throw money at the problem all day. And, and so that just takes you back to, at the end of the day, people need to feel like they're going to share something valuable and that it's going to be recognized. Um, yeah, a little because, bit of status people, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and people are only so mercenary with their time at the end of the day, right? I mean, I mean, if you go to somebody and say, "Hey, there's this company in market, and they really want to improve their products," and you know, you buy products from that slice of the market, uh, there there is some degree of motivation just to participate. And then and then I would say the final thing in that is that you have to be able to have a meaningful conversation when you get on. It's one of the things that's different with in-depths and quant surveys. You know, uh, a quant survey, you can sit there and basically um, uh, find yourself in a scenario where you've designed the survey instrument in advance. You've had a lot of meetings about it. Um, uh, you've basically had a lot of discussion about it in advance, and then you can kind of prepare for that. Um, and and make that all work. Um, Dude, are, are are we getting the hook? Is that what the ding is? Yeah, for? yeah, no, 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 no. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. Like I have a pretty big monitor for those on video, so I'm like looking over at this stream of text messages I'm getting, but nobody's dying, so we're all good. Uh, I'll get back to it eventually. <laughs> and um, anyway, what I was going to say is that the quant survey requires a lot more upfront work, whereas the in-depth interview requires you to spend a lot of time having a meaningful interaction. So if you're thinking about hiring somebody to do qualitative work, it's really, really important that they know your industry and your lane. Mm. You know, for example, we don't do anything with medical. You get me out with a surgeon. I don't know anything about surgeons. I mean, uh, you know, I like some people that you've been under the knife a couple times in your life, but you weren't even awake for that. So what do you know about surgeons? <laughs> right. And so exactly. like, you don't know anything. Uh, on the other hand, you put us in contact with a high-tech company that sells cloud software, hardware. We understand all that dynamic, right? We can talk to their customers in a really meaningful way. So, um, you know, so that that's some of what, what kind of, you, when you think about the balance and the level of investment and the approaches, you know, qual or quant, that's something to think about too. Okay, so let's let's kind of pull this cl uh, full circle here and talk about the value of the research. So what does the, um, the, the owner or the end user of this research expect to get out of it? And how could they use this kind of research to further their business? Well, um, 
the, I know the it's kind of big thing, picture, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the the biggest thing that you get usually is tactics and strategies of how to improve like sales, marketing, and product. You know, if you were to break it down, and and so at the end of the day, you know, we've filled in that gap between what you knew about the market and where the market's really at. And that can be incredibly advantageous. So, you know, we might we might provide sales tactics that you're gonna undertake. We might provide new sales strategies. We might provide new marketing campaigns and tactics. Um, and we might even tell you that, you know, there's certain features and capabilities that you really need to invest in uh, mm-hmm. on the product standpoint. So, um, you know, there's just a lot, a, a lot of huge benefit you can get you know, when you've brought in somebody who can really understand your business and can kind of come up with meaningful recommendations that can move it forward. I love it. And it's so important because, you know, we only know, like you said in the beginning, you know, if we're, if we're so busy in the business, we can't see the forest through the trees and we, we lose connection with the market out there because we're like, just go, go, go. And to have a company uh, such as yours to come in and find out really what they're looking for, whether it's like they don't like pink, they like orange, or they they want the they want the switch to work better, or they you know need it to be in this platform or in this method. You're not going to get that by asking your customers that are already happy with you or like you and are going to give you the wrong answers potentially. So having that independent third party that can go out and do it. On top of the fact that you're so busy in your business, you probably shouldn't be going out asking questions and doing surveys and getting into the details because that's not your lane, right? Your lane is running and leading the company. So um, really important stuff. Um, I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I know that uh, so many business owners miss this part. They really do. They, they miss it, especially in the small space. In the bigger space, yeah, they've got enough budget to pay for it. But in the small space, they're missing this. And so it's super valuable to be able to bring this attention to it and, and showcase it. So, Sean, where can listeners find out more about you and how they could possibly get involved with the research that they need? Yeah, yeah. If folks want to hear more about research or if you just want to have a sense of the kinds of questions you should ask a research vendor, even if you're not targeting kind of our lane like high tech, um, you can just look us up at CascadeInsights.com. And uh, my email is just Sean, S-E-A-N at CascadeInsights.com. And you can find that we're blogging about this stuff regularly. There's all kinds of stuff on the website about it. Uh, and always happy to educate folks just on, you know, how to be a good consumer of research too. Again, you, you know, even if you're not a potential target, just happy to educate. But overall, like I said, the- Whoop, you're freezing a little bit on me here towards the end. So um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll bring you back on. Whoop, are you with me here? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You froze a little bit on the end. Um, so uh, it, it's nice that you offer this kind of information. I appreciate the fact that you're blogging. And I think that business owners really need to look at that angle and look at some opportunities where they can, as you said in the beginning, jump ahead, right? And be ahead of that market curve and be able to um, gain maybe a little bit more knowledge base so they can they can grow the company. So awesome. All right, listeners, I hope you found an idea or two to put into your business that will help you be more profitable. I know that uh, market research is really important 
for understanding your delivery, your marketing, and your sales, um, as Sean had mentioned. So definitely uh, you should be thinking about it. Um, so don't forget, now more than ever, uh, you want to build your business like you want to sell it. Don't forget to register for my new 15-minute training on how to get your business sale ready, even if you aren't thinking of selling it yet. Why? Because there's tons of benefits that come with a sale-ready business. Go register for free at scale, the number two, sell.biz. You don't want to miss this class. And as always, Sean and I would love to hear your questions. Um, give us, give us uh, some questions that you've had in surveys or maybe something that you're really interested in understanding in your market. And um, Sean and I will respond back with uh, answering your questions. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and yeah, comment on today's show. And as always, you can catch Profit with a Plan on any of your favorite podcast players. And we're looking forward to more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for having me on.